D. Three. Rock on. Three back-to-back -back trials. Three back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back wins. Oops. Don't which smell. were which were very <laughs> difficult cases, and we won them, hands down. But two are going to be featured right now on this podcast because they have very interesting issues about recovered memory and about investigations. Can I start about investigations? Oh, absolutely. The self-serve sexual yeah. assault okay. investigations. That's your phrase. Okay. So this f***ing kills me. Okay. So this, God, this one case we had. So it's a sexual assault case and um, the police uh, interview the complainant and um she says she has messages yeah and and she says i have these messages which are very important to proving that the accused is guilty and my friend uh was involved and she was very leery of of the accused when i first met him and was warning me about going out with him and all this type of stuff so and and i want to say this with balance okay so there are police officers who investigate these cases and do a very thorough investigation. In fact, in, in one of the cases that we're going to talk about today that we won, the officer did a great job of investigating, confronted the complainant with contrary evidence. But to go back, <laughs> what happened in this case was... It gets even stranger by the time we get to trial. But, oh, but from the beginning... <laughs> So the complainant then had to go back and sort out her text messages herself because with they her tell friend. her send us screenshots, right? Yeah, and there's some some dispute between the two of them as to when these screenshots were taken and for what purpose and yeah. so on. So the police officer says, "Go back, select, <laughs> determine what relevant uh, messages you want to you you think I want to see." And and what and then take screenshots of these text messages, and then email them to me, and that's a, a, a very significant part of the investigation. So, and I, we're dealing with Snapchat, which has a time limit on screenshotting. Right. So, so this is about text messages, Snapchat, Insta, all that stuff that I'm not really that familiar with. But you know, the, the upshot of this is after the interview is done. The idea is for the complainant to go back and select the messages that are relevant with her friend and take pictures. And her friend is a witness in the proceeding. I, I hope everybody's getting this who's watching this podcast. So then I was during the course of this trial, not of course during the trial, but like when we were on a break going, what the f are we coming to? Like, it's like Shoppers Drug Mart. Have you gone to Shoppers Drug Mart lately? There's no cashiers. You go up to the self-serve checkout like you do at like Fortino's or Loblaws and you serve yourself. So here we are. We're going to go into a police station and it's... Make a criminal allegation and then just check ourselves out. And it's like a self-report. You go up to this box. It says, make yourself report of a sexual assault case. Stare into the camera and give your statement. And that's it. So it's self-serve sexual assault reporting. That's what this case was. It's a joke. But it got even weirder because then we get to trial. And our guy is testifying, and the prosecutor says to him, "Well, I'm going to suggest to you that these messages are out of order." Oh, f <laughs> and then and then he's like going, but then he wanted to control, so our guy wasn't supposed to be able to look at all of the messages. He was very disturbed that he had all of the messages, which were already an exhibit at trial. Right. So normally in, in person trials, because this was over Zoom, you would hand the exhibit to the person, and they could right. flip through it as they wanted to, right? But he was just like, whoa, 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 no, I only want to screen share certain portions with you, right? <laughs> he was like, well, I want to see the whole thing. 
But then he was like, but then while he was being told he couldn't look at all, every single page, he was being asked to say what order they were in. This is so important. Well, so if the, the cops course, had done it, they'd know what order they were. Please, everybody understand this. And this is why when people come to us and they go, sexual assault trials are easy. Yeah, no. You have to be intelligent to defend them and you've got to have expertise. This is not a f***ing joke. So in cross-examination of our client, the Crown tried to prove the correct order of the messages. Pause. Dramatic pause. He didn't know. The Crown didn't know because the investigation was deficient. Why? Because it was a self-serve invest. It was a self-serve report, a self-serve investigation. And when you look at the messages, the Crown was wrong. They were wrong. Because so clearly. our client had it right, yeah. the Crown had it wrong, and this is the way that the trial unfolded. We knew this ahead of time, it was gonna be an issue. So we just thought we'd lay back and let them f it up. But this is so important. This was an example of a very inefficient investigation where simply the police took a statement from a complainant, let the complainant do the rest of it, and then at trial, try and sort it out. And this is not how a criminal trial is supposed to go, and we won. Of course, but with a great cross-examination, great written well, submissions, we did a great job. And it's very important, that case, because it, it's promoting um, active, ongoing verbal consent. Highlight that. Explain to everybody who's listening. So it's a sexual assault case where two people met. They, uh, they met. their first date. They met somewhere. They, they arranged a first date. Eventually, they go back to my client's residents and they start watching they go out onto a balcony and it's in the summertime and they go to watch a movie i mean it's like i have trouble laughing which i quite often laugh especially when i'm stressed out i have trouble laughing at this because it's so serious that um a case that many prosecutors um have have sort of relied upon to say when you're strangers there's an increased responsibility for the guy always just the guy to be more cautious about obtaining um, clear signs of consent because they're strangers to each right. other. And you can't test the waters even though nonverbal consent is still part of consent in Canada. You right. can have so verbal or nonverbal consent. Okay, so there seems to be a different threshold for consent in our, in our case law that the Crown attorneys are pushing, and it's not really true. So they're pushing this idea that if you're strangers, you have a heightened need to obtain consent. And verbal. Yeah. So it should be verbal consent, even though the Supreme Court of Canada has said very clearly in the case of Barton. In the same case that, the, so they're relying on this case called Barton from 2019. And in that very same case, they're very clear that nonverbal consent, actions and conduct is still a form of consent. So let's be clear. So in a case where you're in an intimate contact with somebody, verbal and nonverbal indications can be taken as consent. But in this case, and in others that we're doing, the Crown is pushing very hard the idea that you need verbal consent. Yeah, and right. slipped and said... Enthusiastic. <laughs> There's actually a case from the Supreme Court that says you do not have a right to the quality of the sexual act that you consent to. Right, so this concept of enthusiastic consent is not a joke. So it's being pushed as a paradigm for consent in sexual assault cases that, 
that you should have enthusiastic consent. And, you know, not every sex is great. It's not always going to go that well, what especially if you don't know each other. You don't have a right to good sex. You don't have a, You said that before. That was a great episode. You did a great job of that. And it's right. You don't have a right to great sex. But this is not, this is serious. You so, have a right to, to only have sex in a way that you consent to, but you right. don't have a right to the qualities of that sexual act. Correct. But in this case, like others that were defending... Say, what do you like? What are you good at? It's pushed. <laughs> it's pushed that you have to have this enthusiastic verbal consent. I know. And it is wrong in law. And the idea that a prosecutor might go forward, might go forward with a case that they otherwise, you know, wouldn't have any pro you know, prospect of conviction on the wrongful reading of, of Barton is kind of disturbing, actually. I, I, it's I actually really quite like, frightening. You I'd know, really like some clarification from them on what they mean by um, testing the waters and and why they still include. It has to be, this is one of the submissions we made, it has to be meaningful that they still include nonverbal consent. Yeah. Okay, so we, we talk about this term, testing the water. So this is really important for everybody to understand. So when two people are generally strangers to each other, first, second, third date, you don't know each other, you're engaging in intimate contact. And again, this is an innate human interaction. So the courts love to try and sanitize this and make it non-human. And we're trying to inject humanity into this. So the idea is that you start to do something, whether you're the male or the female, you will go to the next step and that's regarded as testing the waters. But sometimes it can be more and you're f***ed because you went a little bit too far. And we don't know what that boundary is. It really is not clear. What does testing the waters mean? It is a very unfortunate term used by the courts. It's bullshit. It's bad. It's wrong. It's not in keeping with human nature. It's sanitizing and artificializing human interaction. It's wrong. It's bullshit. It was a citation from an academic. Right. Who probably never had sex and never will, right? A totally unsatisfied human being. Some academic who sits at home jerking off or whatever the f it is, they'll never have sex because they think about it so much this way, they're never gonna have any human interaction because that's not the way things work. Well, there's certain advocates and, and academics who think that all heterosexual sex is oppressive for women. And so oh. so that, that seeps its way in. But. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking too is like, if we were to agree, and I don't agree, but if we were to agree that that um, consent should be verbal and it should happen at every no. single button you want to no. do, we're going to have to give people time to transition from natural sexual behavior into some sort of unnatural legal behavior that's expected of them. But the weirdest part is if you go into court and testify that you engaged in this act of ongoing enthusiastic verbal consent, Nobody will believe Nobody you. Nobody will believe you. We've seen it in a number of decisions that they're not believed for that precise reason. Great point. Think about that. So you, you, this is so hard for people to understand. And this is why I get so frustrated as a lawyer when clients come into the office and they go, oh, it's an easy case. Like, uh, you know, we were consenting. It was fine. And, 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 and they don't get what the law is and how you have to actually marshal your defense because there's this ridiculous belief out there about i know it's the chair my chair i gotta oil it um about stomachs about verbal consent i'm gonna just sit like this about right. verbal consent and it's now we're getting British. to <laughs> we're getting to enthusiastic consent 
this is really important to consider. If you testify at a trial that I was engaged in an intimate encounter with this person and I asked about this, I asked for this consent to move here and do there, nobody will believe you. Why? Because that's not how we interact. That's not, yeah. And that's not good sex. That's really disappointing sex. That's really a buzz f***ing kill. There was actually an article written by somebody who was complaining because the guy that she was with was like overcautious about consent. Yeah. And so she she felt like she was like somehow being abused by his cautiousness. But th- but but this is the this is the the fight that we're having right now between the criminal law and humanity and how we interact. And we have to be careful. And this was a great example of this case and we won. We won. And and it was not easily won. This took a lot of work. But to establish to the court that in fact this is how people interact how you can take a nod, a groan, a movement as consent, and this is how people interact. And this was a great judge uh, who was able to interpret the evidence in a way that's congruent with how we behave as human beings. There's another interesting aspect too, in that um, there were messages in which she said, I don't want to go to your apartment. And then she ultimately ends up going there. Right. So, so, if somebody says, hey, I want to go out tonight and have hot sex with you, and I'm using the hot sexes because there was actually a high-profile case with that used, it doesn't give you advanced consent to have sex with them. But if somebody says, I don't want to have sex with you, they can still change their mind. And so it really offends me, the idea that women are apparently so helpless and, 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 and lack agency so much. Right, robbed of their agency. We spoke about that. I know. That um, that you can't make decisions to have a couple of drinks, loosen up, can't get to know somebody, and then change your mind. That if a woman, they can take a text saying, "I don't want to have sex with you," and then apparently twelve hours later, that still stands, and nothing could have changed. Nothing possibly yeah, so could you, have changed. You can't give advanced consent to sex. So let's say you're sexting. But you can give advanced non-consent, apparently. That's right. So here's the bad juxtaposition. So you can, in law not agree to sex ahead of time and that's okay but if you agree to sex ahead of time that's not okay right yeah so your non-consent in advance saying i don't want to do this thing that apparently stands for a long time (laughs) and uh, they don't take into account that the purpose of a date and this is actually part of our submissions the purpose of a date is to get to know each other better. And once you get to know somebody better, you might change your mind about them. You spend hours with somebody. You talk to them. You share intimate moments. You have a drink. You, you watch a movie. You look out over your balcony and look at, uh, you know, it's the summertime. Beautiful things are happening. You go to a beach. You talk. You do things. You're going to evolve as two individuals getting to know each other. And that's what we call f***ing human nature. Which right? is mostly... Nonverbal communications. Oh, as you're flirting right. with each other, and then also, um, when our when our guys are asked, "How did you know she was consenting nonverbally?" Well, she touched me. Well, did she ask for his verbal consent? Never. 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 She's not required to. She is not required to. Only guys are required to. Yeah. Just emphasize that again. Not once does it ever factor into these cases when she does something to him. Is there ever an issue about asking for his consent? Fucking never. Never. So our guy only gets consent if he's sexually assaulted because it's sexual assault if you don't ask first. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I had a case. I, I, I think this is in a few podcasts before, but the complainant went to another campsite where this thing was going on, sat on a guy's lap, started to kiss him, and I asked her, "Did you ask him consent?" And everybody scoffed at me, scoffed at me like I was from Pluto. I'm not going to say Mars because we're going to be there soon. Thank you, Elon. But you know, <laughs> but like I was like out to lunch. Did you ask for consent? No. Why would I? Because I'm the female. Right. I know. It's I a double get, standard. As exciting as this is, because there's so much we could go on about this, I want to talk about the other case that we just won. Okay. But we won this case, and it was with careful, skillful cross-examination, planning, evidence, and strategy that we employed, right? Well, of No course. sexual assault case is simple. It's the meeting I want, of minds. The meeting I want of minds people to magical. stop thinking that it's easy. It's not. It is not. In Canadian also, law now. What, what today, you just had an argument with a new person, you know, because he, you were saying, well, all I need to do is bring all these character witnesses. Oh, f yeah. <laughs> I just need to bring these five people who say, I never raped them. I'm not the kind of person who would do that. <laughs> it's not evidence that's admissible. You can't call character evidence in a sex assault case. You can't call witnesses who say, he's a great guy. He's never raped me. That's not evidence. It's not. It's not admissible. Doesn't tell us anything about what happened. No. So it's not a. It's not easy. These are complex cases where you have to have a fairly solid and 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 fluid understanding of the law that's applied because the case law is changing and you need to know that. Go buy the the law of evidence book. It's really thick. <laughs> you know, the second case that we won. Right. Major win this week. This was major so win. important for me. For us, no, but for me, I've been. It's researching a pet peeve this. for you. It is a huge pet peeve for me. It was a memory, recovered, recovered memory case. Recovered memory. Table is yours. All right, so there is a lot of um, nonsense about how memory works. Yes, that is not correct. Yes, and we have a history in the whole world not just canada not just yeah, the states yeah. australia everywhere there was a thing called the satanic panic era it was back in the 1980s where uh, people were told that their memories could be repressed and then through therapy and discussions with people with suggestive and leading comments people ended up you know especially children ended up making um, allegations against people that were completely false and they came to believe it was true even because of the effect the therapy had on them or whatever but there's a language around these recovered memories and there's some heroes absolute heroes from the psychological community elizabeth loftus um i have a book uh mark pendergrast the memory warp he's actually updated this recently because it keeps coming back yeah it keeps coming back and we know a lot of things about memory every time you recall a memory it is subject to being rewritten so the longer that time goes by the less reliable memory becomes and that's not to say that somebody is going to testify about a memory that they believe is true that's credibility they might be honest about believing that this memory is correct but the reliability is the concern when you have a memory that is like a chalkboard that you can erase and rewrite at will and then the reliability is worth nothing.
And so that's an argument that we made in, in this case that was, you know, that adopted was by well the court, received. Well received by the court, adopted in a case where it was a historical sexual assault allegation with our client who is a wonderful human being and uh, another individual who was related to him who alleged this 12 years later mm-hmm. and we won. And, and uh, God bless the court on and all, the judge. On, on multiple levels we won. Our guy was completely credible and believed on his own, the first branch of WD. So let's flesh this out. So, you, you know, in a criminal case, sometimes you get the Crown hasn't proven the case beyond a reasonable doubt. The evidence is not sufficient to convince me as a trier of fact, I'm a judge, that the case has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And in that's this the case, default. That's a default position, but it's quite common. So in this case, we really... So work. when people want to go into trial get, to get vindication, we try to explain to them, like, they say they don't want to take a peace bond to resolve it or whatever. Right. It's like, it was like, no, I'd be vindicated. It was like, the chances of vindication are so slim. They're going to say the Crown hasn't proven the case beyond a reasonable right. doubt. Right. People just don't get this and, and, and potential clients don't understand this. So in this case, we really worked very hard with the client and with cross-examination. And we had a wonderful ruling by a great judge mm-hmm. um, who found our client factually innocent. So this is one of those rare cases where you get a decision from a court, the judge, where they believed our client and there were significant deficiencies with the compliance evidence so that you can conclude at the end of the day, our client was factually, factually innocent. innocent. Which is he never major... used the phrase, didn't meet the burden of proof. Right. Got to get this. Factually innocent. That's a big deal because you don't normally get that. No. And and we were able to, to do this. And frankly, it's it's... This was a judge I, I have absolute respect for. As well. You know, he got the motive. He got everything else. Great judge. And, you know, the, uh, frankly, it was a good cross-examination. And it was great written submissions we did together. And it was obvious. We had an innocent client. You must be suspicious of memories that are like a chalkboard that can be erased and rewritten at will. So let's talk about the import of this. So we, we're going to talk about now, which is really important for this episode, about repressed memories that are recovered. And what is the reliability of that? And we have a clear statement from this decision that recovered memories that are repressed should be inherently regarded as suspicious. And that's important because that means to some extent the complainant will be testifying about memories that they've forgotten about and then recovered. And sometimes that could be through therapy which enhance the memories which are false. And there's also weird stuff that people that that complainants will read and then bring into the trial language that they use. So right. I actually was uh, you know working on a case with somebody else um, <laughs> a number of years ago. Before, of course, I was you know working with you. Joined her, but um, it was just a crazy case where she said my body remembered. So she right. thought right. That's that a her, great point. She thought that her memories could be stored in body parts that were not her brain. And she was believed. And so this is a problem. <laughs> Say that again to the camera, whichever camera, that one. She had that one. She had body memories that she said, I didn't, I was blacked out. I was unconscious, but my body remembered. 
And so something happened that triggered her and her body restored her memories. And? She was believed. And? The person was convicted. Right. Seriously? A nothing but a it's flashback not a joke. in the middle of the night. You think this is some stupid show? You watch at two o'clock in the morning on some obscure channel on your TV or on radio, like 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 science from I don't know where to look. That's where, my science camera. from That's Pluto, right. but this was real. I know, real, real, this. real. It my body remembered. That's my camera too. <laughs> I'm sorry, my body remembered. You know what my body remembers? How fat I got over COVID and I can't get my body to forget that so I can get slimmer. Go ahead. It's going to happen, Joe. Yeah. Let's talk about the neurobiology of trauma theory. All of our weight losses, I think, goals are going to happen. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I'm happy. I don't care. (laughs) Love you, honey. (laughs) So I have a huge concern about... You know, and interestingly enough, in that trial, the one with my body remembers, the judge said at one point, I'm aware that this is not expert and testimony. And just so everybody remembers, that's not me as the defense lawyer. I did not prove, I did no, not, this wasn't you. that one, I did not lose this case. That's not my case. No. The case I'm talking about, I won and I win my cases, but I can't blame the defense lawyer on this one because the judge came from, I don't know, some other universe. She actually said, well, while she was talking about these body memories, the judge actually said, I'm aware that this is an expert testimony. You don't need to object. Uh, yes, please. She's um, like, <laughs> sound Again, effects. this is a gift from a client. I haven't even finished the case. God bless him. She, she actually said, I'm aware this is an expert testimony, but I'm very interested in the language being used. Right. And so this is something that we mentioned, um, you know, in our submissions on, on our case was, uh, we have to be really careful about the language being used because it quite often tells us how little people understand about memory, right? Yeah, because it's science that, that, that courts aren't... like. Yeah, we don't need expert evidence all the time, but right. there's a lot that's not understood. And the Supreme Court very recently in a case called Waterman said that the Crown is not required to call expert evidence. As we know, experts on memory when they come in they quite often offer their assessment on credibility and that's not helpful to the court no it's ultimately wrong. Yeah. credibility is for the trier of fact Correct. right so and i know that's complicated language and the more i work with you and the longer i i'm involved in law the, the less i talk like normal people <laughs> but it sucks but i try and, i try and remember how to keep it like yeah balanced so i have done a lot of research on junk science around memory and uh, there was one Christmas where, because I'm a weirdo, I spent my Christmas on Skype with a neuroscientist in order to do a video to debunk memory. It's called something like Sex, Lies, and Neurobiology or something like that, and Sex, Lies, and Neuroscience. And uh, there's a new thing called the Neurobiology of trauma. trauma. And this isn't just scary. This is something which is provably being taught to our judges yeah. and our prosecutors and our police forces. And it is it's something, it's something designed Dangerous. in the States yeah. by a guy named Jim Hopper, who's quite proud about it, so I have no trouble naming him. He likes to you know, let everybody know that this is his baby, right? And uh, Look, we don't want to disparage him, but we don't agree with his, well, his thesis. We don't. I'm sure he means well. But the problem is that Yeah, he, we don't describe malice. He's making claims about neurobiology, which, yeah. as it turns out, 
He goes, what you need to understand about trauma is you need to understand the amygdala. And then science changed our knowledge about the amygdala. The amygdala is part of the brain that's involved in encoding memories. Thank you. And so, so he's wowing people by repackaging recovered memories, which formerly were, were obtained through hypnosis or like suspicious interview techniques. Right. Now he's got some sort of neuroscience, which makes it sound official. But the neuroscience does not support it. So when that neuroscience changed around the time I did my video, actually right as I was doing my video, he suddenly comes out with a statement saying, leave, leave the science to the scientists. All you need to understand is the circuitry of fear. And he has specific claims he makes about the way memory works when you're in a traumatic situation, right. which are not borne out by science. Right. This is very dangerous. And again, maybe motivated by good intentions. And I'm not the first one saying this. <laughs> but it, it really is dangerous because it's not really, I, I, as a human being, it's not really how it plays out. Right. And, so, it's, it, and it's pernicious nature in the criminal justice system is, is really something that... So when I be... say, like, I'm not being judgmental on Jim Hopper, and I, and, and I do believe he means well. He certainly spent a lot of his time, you know, trying to, yeah. you know, help with investigative techniques and so on. But there is a report from the United States Air Force. Which they love here in Canada. <laughs> right? It's very important because they were being asked to employ a system called FETI, which is Forensic Experiential Trauma Interview. It's by a guy named Russell Strand, and he trademarked it. But all of this stuff is, is, is outlined in this report on why they won't use the system. All of it was based on Jim Hopper's work. Right. So there's no difference between the FETI system and Jim Hopper. And they rejected um, this interview technique for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being bad science. So... Like, I don't want to get too technical and stuff, but... Get a little technical, because it's important for people it's to so understand. so important. So, in Memory. a section... In, in a section... Um, so, they had a number of people that the Air Force sent out to um, investigate whether or not they should be employing this technique and, uh, and the science. I just want to see the credentials. So, they had a psychologist who works at, a, you know, a, a great university... Um, who and they had a forensic psychologist and then they also sent people out to take the actual course right so they had a number of different ways of investigating but the first report says the science the it raises concerns regarding the inaccurate misleading scientific claims made by the system and their training material makes broad assumptions and generalizations about the emotional cognitive and psychological state of mind of victims of sexual assault about trauma memory and neurobiological processes um, there is no evidence to support the assertion that uh, these types of interviews based on this assumption about the way their mind works and their memory works um, especially in as it relates to primitive portions of the brain and how that works versus the cognitive brain right so part of the part of the bullshit with the science yeah, let's um, let's get this to normal language. Yeah, part of the bullshit with this is that they try to, I would say, gish gallop people by throwing all these technical terms at them. Oh, the primitive part of the brain, the cognitive part of the brain, this, that, the the amygdala, the hippocampus, right? Oh, let's just call it fear circuitry, right? 
they're Pure using circuitry. They're using that language to wow people and make them think, oh, well, I'm not going to challenge that because apparently there's science. But this report is very clear over and over and over again, professor of psychology, forensic psychologist, the science is not proven. It's junk. Correct. But it keeps coming back in Canada. And especially this comes from the States. So any viewers in the States, this is already well underway in the United States. This is being taught to our judges. What you need to understand about the way memory works. Uh, and so here's the thing that, that I came to discover as I was doing all this research, what they did is they looked at first, why are victims, not complainants, why are victims not believed? What can we do to make them believable? And they reversed engineered their whole theory so that things that would normally make you disbelieve somebody or find that their evidence isn't reliable is now a sign of rape. Right. So that way you can attack any potential defense to the allegation. Yeah. Right. But thank God for cross-examination. And Everything, thank God for common sense. Every, every behavior is consistent with rape. But no behavior is inconsistent with rape. Everybody, which camera? Everybody get that. Like this is the shit that's going on. This is the science that's being promulgated to prove these allegations are true no matter what. It is serious. So when you're dealing with memory, you have to be very careful about how you marshal your defense because this is the type of that judges may be educated about. It's not a joke. And they when go to you, seminars. Yeah, look, they got these They go sheets. to seminars where they get little like things on their screen that have like Venn diagrams, right? So there's little charts, Venn diagrams. All of it is nonsense. This is, a, this is a diagram that says that all victims will experience dissociation mixed with freezing, habit behaviors, which apparently is that women will always be, you know, sort of, uh, affirmative with, with male sexual aggression and so on, that they, they're not going to be, you know, strong and say, fuck off. They're going to say, oh, well, it's not you, it's me, right? Um, collapsed immobility. Well, apparently that, I, I can't even remember what that is. Tonic immobility. This one, this tonic immobility, this one's crazy. You know what it happens in? What's Chickens. Tonic immobility. your scotch? Tonic immobility is where your body stops responding to your brain. Your body goes dead and will not help you. So your own body's going to betray you, not just the world and everything else, but your own body is going to like fail you at the last minute. And the, it's never been observed in humans, but it's on the chart because the, they're, they're trying to say this happens, right? Does Tom, everybody get... I'll tell you how tonic mobility, because I, I researched this on the okay. internet. Go ahead. If you put a chicken's head down on the ground and draw a chalk line in front of it, and take your hand off, the chicken's head will lay there and it won't move because it's fascinated with the line of chalk. And then when you wave your hand in front of it, it'll wake up. You know what? I'm female. I'm not a chicken. It's also been observed in sharks. If you stroke a shark's belly and lay it on its back, it goes into a state of tonic, tonic immobility and it won't but move. But you're not a shark. You're not a shark. Some people think I am. Okay, so, so what's the upshot of this? What's the upshot? That our judges are being I'm fed also junk not a science. pug dog. They're not. <laughs> that comes from the Bill Cosby expert. 
or judges are being fed junk science. There's junk science yeah. trying to resurrect how the brain works and encodes. This is this is the how the brain-based behaviors tend to unfold. This is from this is being taught to our judges. In you know, see you can see that there's dark lettering here. There's a little thing here in gray. It says rational deliberate behaviors. That's grayed out because apparently women can't be rational. Look, I'm let, so let. offended. I'm so offended by that fucking shit. Oh my God, you throw paper like me now. That's great. Okay, so stop. Let's everybody listen. Okay, okay. I'm so offended. Let's calm this down. We're getting close to the end of this. Okay, so let's just focus on this. There's a lot of junk science out there. And it should and not it, be taught to our judges. It should not be taught to our judges. And, and frankly, with all due respect, in the case we're talking about now, okay, this complainant came back, had some epiphany at night because a creative writing exercise was in a position that she recalled all sorts of information about the sexual assault right wrote this it down important. and then went to the police and the officer so there's statement number one interview. in january okay. and then there's statement number two of the, the same year in september okay statement number Many one months. is january this epiphany occurs in July of that year, and then the officer interviews her in September. God bless the officer. That officer was challenging and inquisitive and somewhat dismissive of her evidence. Well, Did a dismissive. very good job investigating. Let's, let's not go too far because I, I don't want to, to, you know, make He wasn't dismissive, actually. He was just like, can you tell me about that? <laughs> you could tell from his language. And from the way he went about it. Well, and his leg going like this as he's listening to her read her creative writing statement. Right, but, 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 but because you know why? Because some seasoned investigators have that quality. Yeah. They can sense bullshit. They can sense what's wrong. And we don't give officers the credit they deserve or the discretion that they need yeah. to investigate. No Leaving that aside, in this case, this person came back with this recovered memory because they were in a position in a bed that had this flood of memories. Yeah, a position that she agreed she was in on a regular basis. But for some reason, on this particular all day, this that garbage science, this my, garbage my science. My knees were slightly bent as I was sitting on the bed. My knees were slightly bent, like the position I would have been in if 8, this thing had happened times to before me. When I was but, sleeping. Yeah, she agreed with you. Yeah, I've been in that position many times before. Yeah, so it's stupid. Yeah. So it's stupid. Let's. Let's use a scientific term. It's stupid. So this is where we are. And this is the reality. This is not a f***ing joke. This is where we are. And we got to... to a man could have gone to jail for something he didn't do because of this junk science, you know, this continued belief in recovered memories. I believe, that's a bad word, that there are, you know, you know people have traumas that they experience and that they don't want to remember and it's there but it's different when somebody says i've repressed it i didn't remember it i forgot it and then because i was in a position on a bed and it came back and all this other bullshit, we have to be very suspicious you had a great dramatic reading of her little creative writing essay actually yeah she she wrote this whole journal and then i decided to read it like i put my hand over my eyes as if I was trying to hide. Oh my God. And then I decided to just succumb to okay, what so was the event. This, is, this isn't particularly funny unless you know the different versions of memory. And so this is one of the things that we made clear to him. 
we've got three different kinds of memory. And I, and I love the first part. So she says in her first statement, I remember blacking out. So that is a memory, a memory, of, no memory. of having no memory. I remember blacking out. Yeah. I remember blacking out. Does anybody drink? And you get drunk and you don't remember what you did the last night? I remember nothing. So there's blackouts and there's brownouts, right? So you can get little flashbacks, but I kind of question that too, because when somebody says, Oh, it's so oh, distorted, bullshit. You were dancing on the table, and then you can have a visual picture of that happening. It was like, oh, I might kind of remember that, right? It's but not reliable. Did you remember that? It's not reliable. It because somebody told you you did it, and then you're picturing it going, you okay, maybe I remember that, right? You reconstruct. Yeah. So, but but there it, there are things like, you know, you can kind of say, oh, damn, what the hell? I'm like, I'm really hungover or whatever. And then you start getting little flashes like, oh, should I be calling this person and saying sorry? You know what I mean? Like, so you can have little clippets of memory that, that do come to you. That's a brownout. But when you say I blacked out, she's, she literally said I was being sucked into darkness, right? So we made it clear. We've got somebody saying they have a memory of going into a state of having no memory. That's amnesia. There are no memories. So the reality, I'm sorry for all those people who want to believe something different. When you, when you're blacked out or unconscious, you're incapable of having memories. You don't encode you can't a memory. Recover those you don't memories. encode a memory. And then all of a sudden, she has this little creative writing exercise and she starts filling in all the blanks, the precise moments where she said she was blacked out. Best, one of my most favorite cross-examinations of my career. Like, it, it just, it was just so fucking juicy. Yeah. When you have a blackout, you're just like, I don't fucking remember. And if you're honest about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the games you play informed by this junk science. And that's where we get the conflation of junk science and people trying to prove something that's not true. And it's dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. And we had this in this case. And, 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 and the takeaway from the judgment is this. Recovered memories, whether they're repressed or forgotten, have to be inherently looked upon as suspicious, period. Yeah. And you have to assess all the evidence together to determine whether it's enough to find somebody guilty. But you have to look at it suspiciously because it's inherently unreliable, in our opinion. And we're going to keep pushing this narrative. And that's not to say that the complainant doesn't necessarily believe it's true. Right. F yeah. Holy sh**. They may believe it's true wrongly. And that's a big f***ing deal. Right? But in this case, they were f***ing lying. But leaving that aside, case, somebody may lying. believe that that's true. Provably. But that's an in a that's that's a wrongly uh, uh, that's a wrong how do I put it this way it's 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 a wrong analysis of your own memory. It's a misunderstanding. It's like 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 we it's said. It's worse than that. It's language, not a misunderstanding. You actually come use. to believe this bullshit. But the language people use quite often tells us how little they understand about memory and the way memory works. You're right. And we can't every it, time. I've had moments where I had a conversation with somebody with witnesses and i said that's not what i said and then i was informed that that is in fact what i said my memory was completely different right but all and, of and them an sure honest had that experience would go, an honest witness would go yeah oh, you're right your job as a complainant is to tell the truth okay we won that case 
Like the last... My first recovered memory 2, case. 2,000 cases. Every case we've worked on. It, sadly. So far. Like, like it's great. We're lucky. We're lucky. To have the, really good like facts. Like the dynamic duo. No, but we have good facts. I'll be we gay, work Robin. That's fine. You can be Batman. <laughs> I don't care. I don't need a cape. But, you know, you got to work the cases. you got to work You make a better Batman than... Uh, what's, what's the... Oh, we won't even talk about I that. don't want to get sued by whoever made the new Batman. It's a great it's a great movie. It's not my favorite Batman. I Until actually enjoyed week, it. I did enjoy thank it. Thank you guys. Thank you for watching. If you like our podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, review, share. Leave reviews on Apple. Share Satan I shit about and us. And tell everybody else to, to, to come watch the show. And you know what? Uh, we're talking about this. important things. This is actually important. It's real. People get hurt by false accusations. People get hurt, men and women, get hurt by false accusations. Men and women in bad divorce situations get hurt because children are involved. So if you give a fucking like, subscribe, and share, because people need to know about this. It's not a joke. Before it happens to you, you please, need to know about it. Please, it's not a joke. All the best. Rock on. My best friend.